Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles. This week's episode is the first of four we recorded live at the Royal Albert Hall. It's actually the last one we recorded there uh, sequentially, but it's the first one we're putting out, if that makes sense. And if you'd like to hear an extended version of this episode, you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles and become a Patreon supporter of the show. Uh, You get extended versions of lots of episodes, most of the episodes, actually. And there's lots of other goodies uh, on different reward tiers there as well. Uh, Plus, you get the satisfaction of knowing you are helping keep the show going. We really wouldn't be able to keep doing the show without all the support of our Patreon. So once again, thank you very much for all your support. Uh, If you're not able to support uh, financially, that's perfectly fine. The show will always be available free the shortened versions will always go out free for everyone uh but you can go to apple podcasts or itunes or wherever you listen to the show and leave us a five star rating that really helps us out as well and as always a few live events to plug we will be doing some shows at the latitude festival this weekend uh robin is doing a stand-up show we've got a science panel with Susie gage and lucy rogers uh and then we're doing a tour of the universe with chris lintot uh followed by some stargazing out in the field we've got six beautiful telescopes from the Orwell uh, Astronomical Society there and you can come out and see the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter. Uh, So if you are at Latitude, do pop over to the Speakeasy tent and see some of those shows and we'll be wandering around all weekend doing some Festival Shambles podcasts as usual. So you might see us out and about most likely. We'll be by the second-hand book van. And we'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe next month. We're doing six episodes of Book Shambles live as part of the PBH Free Fringe, which means it's free for you to come. It's at Bannerman's at 5.30pm on the 17th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd and 23rd. We're going to have lots of great guests along as part of those. So do pop down. And we're going to be doing uh, some more live book shambles up and down the country as well coming up uh, later in the year at various book festivals and science festivals. So we will let you know about those as soon as possible. And my book, the uh, which is all about kind of a mixture of uh, birth, death, laughter, inner voices and social anxiety, amongst other things, is uh, available for pre-order now from Atlantic Books. And that book is I'm a Joke and So Are You. In the meantime, here is this week's episode. Adam Buxton was our guest at Royal Albert Hall for this one with Robin and uh, Sarah Kendall stepped in as Robin's co-host for all four of these episodes as Josie had just given birth quite quite literally days before we uh, recorded the first one. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, today, the part of Josie Long will be played by Sarah Kendall. And uh, our guest today is still, well, one of my favourite, he's created one of my favourite phrases of all time, one of my favourite Channel 4 shows, and does just a, a, a magnificent uh, podcast. Uh, and it is Adam Buxton. Hey, hello. 
thanks very much. The phrase that I'm addicted to from an old Adam and Joe is where you did one set on a motorway service station and there was one involving a revolving mug tree and the oh, phrase yeah. was merely, give them a whiz, mugs there is. And for some reason, <laughs> I, you know there's certain things, I must have had it on VHS, where eventually the tape is so distorted, you go, I, I love the whole show, but I'm just going to watch this sentence 73 <laughs> times... <laughs> Until the dawn chorus and maybe beyond. No, oh, that's great. I'm very flattered. That was that arose out of necessity because I hated doing those segments so much. Basically, it was a segment where we were parodying like a daytime show where people would rush around shopping centres and interact with members of the public. And so myself and Joe, with whom I did the show, were trying to do the same kind of thing. Joe was good at going up and being weird with ordinary members of the public most of whom didn't realise what was going on. They thought it was a real show. <laughs> and Joe would just go up and say, what's in your bag? And, <laughs> and they'd just sort of say, well, nothing yet. <laughs> nothing. And, you know, <laughs> or, well, I, just, I just got a sandwich. A sandwich. So Joe would be good at just running with those things. But I, I couldn't do it. I felt I would get teary and, and shaky. And I didn't like the idea that people weren't in on the joke. You know what I mean? I, didn't, yeah, I, I don't yeah, really yeah. like pranky stuff that much. Also, the, like, the thing that I worry about with pranks is that the people who get pranked are the people who are nice enough to stop. Exactly. Like, the people who go, fuck off, mate, I'm busy, and yeah. keep walking, they're safe. It's a person who stops and goes, Australians, what? you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And it used to make me uncomfortable. There was uh, some shows where tourists in London would often be the targets, you know what I mean? Because it's like, hey, they don't know what's going on, they're stupid tourists. And I just felt bad for them. I thought, yeah. like, you know, it's fun being a tourist and it's so wonderful when you go to a foreign country when people are nice to you in a different city. Yeah. It's a wonderful feeling. It's exciting. And the idea of going somewhere different and then just someone takes the piss out of you for being... Have you seen on flights, um, like the Montreal, like the Just for Laughs, they do, a, a, like, a bunch of hidden camera things. Mm -hmm. And it's all the same thing where a person pretends that they've opened a vein and asks for help and then the person, like, one person stops the help them and they're like, ah! Yeah. You're like, what? That's just the nicest You're nice, you yeah. idiot! Yeah. The yeah. nice person who stopped becomes the focus point. Like, That's right. All the people who just kept walking, yeah. It's a terrible... I mean, the future of humanity, what happened? They died out due to lack of kindness for fear of publicised <laughs> exactly. shame. Yeah, it's an intriguing... I, I was involved in some of those things and I really hated doing them as well. I found that so agonising. I once did a, a show called The Pilot Show where we would do... Um, we would have celebrities in and we would pitch them terrible, terrible shows. And it was, uh, and it was quite fun to do because normally they would get so bad they would realise and they would become in on the joke and it would be fine. But I remember they set up an office where they went, yeah, we, we've set up a special office with a hidden camera and no one will know where it is. And I went to this little... I went, is it the huge wardrobe with a mirror on it that would never normally be on an office? And they went, yeah, that's where the camera is. I went, so you don't think people will find it weird that for some reason in a small writer they go, and we've got a huge... Mirrors went, no, they won't notice that. They'll get fine. excited. They'll think there's a kingdom behind it. Yeah. <laughs> snowy kingdom. Um, now, this was uh, mistakenly advertised at one point as being all about David Bowie, which is not going to be. So you and I communicated and we thought, well, if that's how it's being built and if people are going to turn up expecting us to talk about Bowie, we could talk about the list of Bowie's 100 books um, that was published around 2013 
to tie in with the David Bowie Is exhibition. I think when it went to Canada, maybe, when it was in Ontario, and Bowie suddenly delivered this uh, list of 100 books. So we thought maybe that could be a jumping-off point for our talk. Well, but, there is, how many of you, uh, because it is a great, how many of you know, I don't know how many of you know about this list or saw it, it was, it was uh, republicised a great deal um, after he died, and it's, it is, it's a really interesting selection, I mean, my favourite thing that amongst his favourite books, it, Viz, is included, yes. and I think that is, so great. And, and for anyone who doesn't read it, it's one of the things, you know, certain things you campaign about, if you don't read Viz now, return to it, I still think it's quite <laughs> remarkable, I think things like The Mail Online, Drunken Bakers, what Barney Barney, Barney <laughs> Farmer, who does does the the Drunken Bakers and Mail Online and uh, Whoops Isle Apocalypse, uh, which are all these kind of very dystopian, horrific images of a kind of you know a broken country, but done with such incredible darkness. Alan Moore says, you know, basically he sees Drunken Bakers as being a contemporary Beckett. You know, it's uh, and and there is this brilliant book, which is just really a, a dialogue between the Drunken Bakers with none of a few drawings, but it's not a comic strip. And if it wasn't attached to Viz, I think people would go, this is possibly the greatest moment of postmodernism involving both vomit and Battenberg cakes that have been released. <laughs> but people will, I think, will possibly dismiss its excellence. And I think that happens with Viz a lot of the time as well. Yeah. Was Viz a thing for you, Sarah, when you were growing up? Well, no, but when I uh, met my... Well, he was my boyfriend, but he became my husband. He had a stack of Viz in the toilet. And uh, I thought he was mentally deficient i thought why it's a good chance he might have been he could be yeah oh, nothing has happened to absolve me of that uh yeah. thought but then after a while uh i started reading them and it was just the letters the letters page was yeah. always my favorite there was one and i think my kind of my gateway drug uh the article it was a random uh issue and it was um, an article about how Sting uh, was getting really upset because all the bigger boys in the park were throwing his backpack up a tree, um, saying that he'd never gone all the way with a girl. <laughs> and the art I just could not stop laughing. I was just absolutely beside myself that Sting, yeah. And, and that, that, for me, was the kind of... They were yeah. really ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff. Like, uh, as well... Um you know, they did the thing of doing fairly risque jokes by today's standards. But, you know, it had a conscience to it. Yeah, Hence, totally. Sid the Sexist, you know. They knew yeah. they, you were getting laughs out of the unacceptable yeah. stuff that Sid the Sexist was saying. Yeah. But you were also... He was called Sid the Sexist. You were aware that this yeah. was not cool kind of thing. It, it's the, I think it's the perfect level of pure old. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Men in a Shed, as it is still made by those two guys there and then some of those working... And, it, and it's because it's smart and because it does have in the end it has this dark conscience about yeah you know and i think that's what's beautiful about it definitely and um there's a funny video as well speaking of bowie being into this kind of stuff of bowie on a tour bus i think with that band Galen dorsey and one of the late period bands and there bowie keeps on doing catchphrases from the fast show <laughs> And it's so incongruous just to see him. He's doing the Paul Whitehouse thing, you know. What's the Paul Whitehouse character where he used to run around and he was like a little teenager sort of going... It's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant, yeah. brilliant. And Bowie was just doing that the whole time. <laughs> it was very endearing. And he also has on his list of 100 books, Raw, a graphics magazine, which I do remember you could get... I used to get it from the ICA. And that was my first exposure to sort of 
outre graphic art. It wasn't really funny. It wasn't like Viz or anything. It was sort of pretentious and actually, it was Art Spiegelman. I exactly right. It, yeah. There was Mouse was in there. Yeah, and that was the first time I'd seen Mouse. So I went and got that thing, and that was my introduction to all that. Raw was good, and it had yeah very weird uh, stuff that was half interesting graphically and half thematically. A lot of weird gay stuff in it, and it was enjoyable. There was. Um, <laughs> Charles Burns, I think, was in uh, in early Raw. If you've if you've ever read one of the a, a, a really great uh, comic book called uh, Black Hole, which is uh, all about uh, a group of teenagers who basically it, it is like some kind of weird sexual disease, which means that they mutate. Uh-huh. And it's uh, Stuart Lee likes it, so it's quite slow. <laughs> uh, but, it's, uh, but it is. It's, it, they, there are a lot of interesting. That was the moment where we were meant to say, "I'm not reading a comic. I'm reading a graphic novel." That's right. And then you get older and you go, "No, I'm reading a comic." Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy with it. Yeah, graphic novel. I couldn't really stick with that terminology for very long. What are the books? Have you read a lot of the books on it? I would imagine you have. Not that many. I've read. I, I, I hadn't read it before, but I read um, the interviews with Francis Bacon. Oh yeah, uh, I bet those which are good. really fantastic. They came out about four different times because, you know, they were just each one got another interview added. And that was the first time that I found out that Francis Bacon um, had been an interior decorator. And I was just like, that would have been fantastic, this idea of a kind of, you know... In an abattoir. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen yeah. and Francis Bacon. And Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen say, we don't have the naked men screaming everywhere, you know. Just, uh, I thought that was a... And, and it's a... Re- he, what I've done in this room is covered it in shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really uh, and, it, and it made me like his work more as well because I, you start to see him because sometimes he comes across you know you read about those days in Soho and he seems like you know this kind of brutal guy who I mean these incredible stories if anyone's read the um, Who on Earth the, the autobiography of Tom Baker where Tom Baker when he wasn't making Doctor Who was basically just getting pissed up with all of these Soho including Francis Bacon and, and he would just go into the colony rooms and he'd, if he'd done an ad, advert voiceover, he'd just put the money behind the bar and go, let's hammer the optics. And that's what they do. You know, and it's like, as we, we were kids watching him, you know, fight Davros. And, yeah. And he, he was pissed with wow. Francis Bacon. That would be a relaxing evening, wouldn't it? Uh, um, Tom Baker and... Um Francis Bacon, and then you could get uh, Brian Blessed, he could join them as well! <laughs> just to calm things down a bit. Um... The book that I had, the book that I've just started reading on Bowie's 100 favourite books list. And again, you should, it's worth noting that, of course, you know, Bowie uh, issued this for public consumption. So it's probably mainly bullshit. Like, that, it's probably a lot of books that he thinks make him look interesting and, you know... I he hope so, because I looked at that list and went, I've, I've read three. Because who, who would really publish an honest list. I was thinking about the actual books, some of the books that I've read Tadanora and have made Yoku. an impression on me. And they're not of the same order at all. Uh, <laughs> what have See, I got? I, I would say the one that I, might, I know nothing about this book, but the book that is like, I'll put that on the list because I think people in the New York Times would be impressed by that. A Grave for a Dolphin by Alberto Denti di Perangelo. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, oh, have you not read it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's done as a, a very lengthy haiku. Are you allowed to do lengthy haiku? Yes, he was given licence to do lengthy haiku. Oh, great. <laughs> he would have read the back of that and then, because he admitted freely when he was younger, a teenager in London, he would go and ride on the tube and he would have an uh, intelligent-looking book poking out of the top of his pocket, of his jacket. You know, he wanted to be seen as being smart. Mm. And he was quite 
candid about all those things, just the same way that he used to say he wanted to be seen as a trendy person. That was the most important thing to him, yeah. to be thought of as trendy and exciting. That's why he was a pop star, because he thought that would be the best way to be thought of as a trendy person. So fucking likeable. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, who would admit that nowadays? That it's so nakedly, you know, it's like, well, that's of course, that's what I'm doing. I want people to think I'm cool and trendy. Yeah. See, now we've talked about that Let's Dance video, I want that place directly in the middle of Nick Cave's The Proposition, which is an incredible film. Oh, yeah. Seen that, has a moment where John Hurt's film, and he's actually got a fly on his eyeball. Have you ever seen this film? No. It's a fantastic soundtrack by Nick Cave and Warren Ellison. It's by uh, Nick Cave, and it's, I forget the name of the director. He's the one who... John Hillcoat. John, John, who, if you ever think, I, it's a nice Sunday afternoon, I want a happy-go-lucky film, you steer well clear, because <laughs> he does gloom in, in a way that is, is uh, overpowering. Yeah. Um, the Road. I want to watch The Road. Having read the book oh. as well, I know what's going to happen, immediately before doing the Glasgow Comedy Festival, and then just walking out and going... Hello, everyone. It's going to take me a minute. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, having that I have a nice, nerdy kind of audience to come and see me, I went, yeah, I've just uh, accidentally watched The Road. And they all kind of went, it's OK, we'll give you five. That's fine. You know, just <laughs> start doing some silly impressions and slowly you'll build up to some kind of happiness, I would imagine. Same director. Um, um, who was the... Who, same director? Sorry. Yeah, yeah John, John Hillcote. Hillcote. Oh. He works a lot with Nick Cage. OK. He's a cape man. Mm. And cave. Nick Cave. Oh. Nick Cage. Nick that would have been Cage. such a... Better anecdote. <laughs> Nick Cage is a caveman as well, though, which makes things more confusing. Um, but oh yeah, the road man. I, I, I was I was making a list of of books that I've loved and read over the years that have made a huge impression on me because I don't think of myself as a big reader because I always hated reading when I was little so much. Thought it was so boring, and um, but actually, you know. One of the nice things about getting older is you become less intimidated by books and you think, oh, it's actually, they're fun. And, uh, but The Road made a massive impression on me. That was really one that, that, that was a whole block of time where I was just in that book. Mm -hmm. And I reread it a few times as well because it's quite easy to read, apart from being, you know, it's like not easy emotionally. Yeah. But you don't trip up on every... Like, one book that I read because a friend recommended it to me was Pale Fire by Vladimir Nabokov. And uh, I thought, Nabokov, yeah, it's got to be easy. He's written lots of blockbusters. <laughs> I'll go, I'll read Pale Fire and then I can impress my friend. Oh, my God. I was reading, it was one of those books I was just reading every single sentence three times. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good book. Yeah. Um, I, but... re I read, I read, I was reading The Road in public and I can remember the moment that I got to the, you know, and... They, they go down the stairs and they're keeping people yeah. for meat. Mm. And my face, I was like, <gasps> like reading it on a train or someone. Someone leaned across and went, did you just get to the bit where they go down the yeah. stairs? <laughs> I was like, yes! And I, and I like, so I, 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 like you, had read the book and then saw the movie and I was pregnant. Oh. I don't know, I don't know what, I just don't know what I was thinking. And yeah. I just, I was like, what, have, what are we doing? What have I done? There's no hope. It's a lovely thing, though, those books that you can give someone a passage to read and you can know where they've got to in certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, oh, man, I can't believe I forgot the name now of the book, uh, which I often mention on this, which is all about a young guy with mental health problems, written by Trent, what's his name, written by the uh, guy down in uh, Bristol. And it runs Terence with, Trent Darby. Terence Trent Darby, <laughs> yeah. The, the Neither Fish Nor Fowl, yeah. the tie-in uh, book that came with, with that one. <laughs> but, but, oh, man, I can't believe that I... Uh, I'm shocked 
the Fall. Uh-huh. The book Shock of the Fall, which is a very beautiful and sad book about mental health. And I gave it to my wife because she wanted to do it. And once she got on to the final chapter, I could, I could watch the whole journey of the sadness. Uh, and then, it, it, I won't give away the ending, but it's just... And the, another one is Klaus Kinski's autobiography. Oh, which yeah. Which is utterly insane. <laughs> and I think the version that's available in the UK is called something like Klaus Kinski Uncut. And there's a story of him... Uh, where he explains that he's no longer insane in an asylum except for the fact of the fly, the fly that is tormenting him. He's going to get that fly, and it's basically him running around chasing a fly, and then he grabs the fly. The first time he misses the fly, but the second time he gets the fly, and then he gets a little thread, and he ties it around the neck of the fly. And then it's this whole thing, and then he incinerates it, and he goes, and then once the fly was burnt, I realised it wasn't the fly's fault. And it's like, you, as you w- watch someone reading about Klaus Kinski dealing, going, I'm totally sane now, apart from the flies, <laughs> which I capture and then tie thread around their little necks before burning them, but I'm much, much better. Uh, and you can see people just going, oh, uh, oh, uh, 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 oh. No, he's a complicated figure. <laughs> and there's a line in that book I remember where he's talking about as a child sleeping with his sister, they were quite a poor family, and he would cuddle up with his sister on the fart-soaked couch. <laughs> and um, I just... Now I, I think of all couches as being... I, yeah. I would imagine that all couches are fart-soaked. They're disgusting, yeah. And now I always just think, wow, this is... A, especially on aeroplanes as well, all those seats. Oh. They're all fart-soaked. If you've not seen the film My Best Fiend, which mm. is a documentary by Werner Herzog about his relationship with Klaus Kinski, and it's quite... I think it includes, because in the book he talks, Klaus Kinski did a stadium tour of a play where he was playing Jesus, but it got cancelled very quickly because it was a part that very much went to his head. <laughs> and it's a really fascinating story about... Yeah, this should go down fine in Germany. It's, you know, I, I don't imagine someone being a messiah in a stadium in any way could go wrong, because it's never gone wrong before... Oh. <laughs> is he related in any... Is he... Natasha Kinski? Natasha Kinski's dad, yeah. Really? Yeah. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Because that's a sad rabbit hole. Okay. Um, Google it. <laughs> or don't. I'm not going to. No. Uh, I asked my son permission to read out excerpts from his school reading diary. Because it made me laugh when he, he it was lying around and I had a read. And... Um, it made me laugh because it's exactly the same way that I was with books, like when I was young. My dad was a writer, so he had a, uh, a, an intimate and powerful relationship with words and books. He read a lot, and he was always keen that we should read his children. My sister read loads, and so did my brother. Not me. I just fucking hated it. I just thought it was the most boring thing. Why would you read if you've got a TV? That was exactly what I... I can remember exactly the same decision where you go, television or a book. Yeah. What kind of decision okay, is that? This takes yeah. effort and it's boring and it doesn't immediately reward me within a few seconds. Or, Jim will fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Simpler times. Um, <laughs> But, you know, but what about the 22 hours where there was nothing on television when we were growing up? Static, mate. Right. <laughs> I, I did one day, like the little girl in Poltergeist, <laughs> stare at the static and try and make out faces in it until... And, you know, I would watch 
weekend world on a Sunday afternoon, the political discussion programme. Which has a brilliant theme tune. What's yes. It? Nantucket Slave Ride. By Mountain. Yeah. Which is a brilliant... If you've Amazing. never heard it, listen to it after this, right? Because it's a really long, boring piece of music and you then get the sense that the guitarist eventually went, oh, for fuck's sake. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> but we've got to finish this fucking thing now. And it really does feel like just one I of know. them. Why'd you do that? It's gone on for 20 minutes. <laughs> one day it's going to enliven a very dry political discussion program yeah. on Sunday afternoon. That, that and the theme to World in Action are two of my favourite things, mm. which are, are which is again a very kind of weird proggy thing which doesn't necessarily attach yeah. to you know various different stories of poverty in Sunderland, but at the same time <laughs> lured you in to those do you, remember, do you remember 20th Century Box? A show that Danny Baker used to present sometimes and it had a, a, a techno-themed... Well, techno, it was sort of electronica-themed tune by John Fox. Anyway, listen... Um, let me read you my son's reading diary because what I did with him, he's one of, like he wanted to he he wanted to uh, try and impress my, me and his mum and his teachers by reading. He's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to read some books. Just give me some books, I'll read them. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like here's here's an easy book aimed at people of your age. I'm not going to read that shit. Give me something proper, you know. <laughs> and I did exactly that when I was young. I remember going to the library and getting out The Magus by John Fowles <laughs> when I was 10. You know what I mean? I'm going to read The Magus by John Fowles. Look at the cover. It's, I don't know, I understand it. <laughs> and of course, you know, I got three pages in, if that, didn't understand it. And that was the end of that. But I was too embarrassed to take it back to the library. So it was just hanging around for ages. And he did the same with... Uh, Consider Phlebas by Ian M. Banks. I thought, well, you know, science fiction, it's a good one, Ian Banks. How old is your son? Uh, he is now 16. Uh, back then, so this was when he was about 11. And um, Consider Phlebas is maybe a little bit too grown up, I, I would think. But anyway, he was insistent, liked the cover, thought, yeah, I'll give this a go. So his uh, reading diary says... This book is a science fiction book, and a good one too, spelt T-O. <laughs> so far, I am into where the protagonist is, and I'm excited to know what will happen to him. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is a young man who is bluffing, <laughs> who has read almost none of Consider Phlebas <laughs> by Ian M. Banks. But he wants to impress everybody and he's going for this. All of this he has admitted to me since. So I, when I said, do you mind if I read this out? And he's like, no, it's cool. And I was like, did you actually read the book? He's like, no. <laughs> Teachers comment, I'll be interested to see what you make of this. It might prove to be too adult, but see how it goes. <laughs> both, Mr. Um, bo both Mr. Plater and I really like this book. Ask Mr. P about him. Frank's uh, next entry a few weeks later... Um, at the moment, this is an amazing book, <laughs> and I am hooked. It's all very mysterious, and is exciting to know what is going to happen next to the, rest, <laughs> to the rest of the crew, brackets, in the spaceship. <laughs> 36 pages in, and I love it. This is after one month. <laughs> Teacher comment. You've taken four weeks to read 36 pages. You need to read for longer, I think. Do you read every day? <laughs> uh, he doesn't reply, but the answer was no. <laughs> Next entry, 
third and final entry in his reading diary, The End. I was extremely looking forward to the end, <laughs> as I had hundreds of questions to be answered. But I was met with disappointment as I had encountered a sort of cliffhanger ending, which I'm not keen on. <laughs> Especially as I was a little confused, probably because he hadn't read any of the rest of the book. Most of my questions had been answered, but new ones appeared, leaving me with around the same number of questions I had <laughs> from when I encountered the ending. Now, if I were now, if it wasn't for some brilliant storytelling, I would have left a little annoyed. You might say you had a completely different outcome to this book, and that may be true. But just because the ending upsets me does not mean that I did not thoroughly enjoy this book, and I look forward to reading more of Ian Banks's books. <laughs> Over the use of the word book, there. <laughs> Teacher comment. Hmm. <laughs> Yes, exclamation mark. This could be a function of being an adult book, do you think? What are you reading now? Hopefully something that will not take you an entire term to read. <laughs> well, that was the end of that. He's, he's a good reader now. That's he's, great. He's found his groove. You've just got to find the book that unlocks the... Mm. You know, some people, they've got no problem with it and they're not intimidated by books. My daughter's got a totally different relationship to books and she just devours them, you know. She's mm. not intimidated at all by anything. But, yeah, I was, I was like my son. But then you, you find the book. For me, it was actually A Wrinkle in Time, which just got made into a shit yeah, film. Right, right. Um, by Madeleine Longle, a book from the late 60s, early 70s, weird science fiction. And that just made me think, wow, this is amazing. Mm. So that, that set me off yeah, on yeah. being a little less intimidated anyway. I remember seeing my grandfather doing the crossword and he had uh, Roger's Thesaurus next to him. And I thought it said Roger's Treasures. Uh -huh. that that's what the book was. And he'd pick it up and read it and put it down. And I thought it was so exciting. It was like Roger's Treasures was this book that you'd only read a sentence. And you go, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I'm going to fucking put it down. Just think about what I just read. And then you get back to his crossword and read a bit more of Roger's Treasures. But... It's going to be the best Imagine fucking Imagine going book. to Roger's house. Imagine what, what is the treasure, but what is the treasure? <laughs> That's, I, I'd forgotten, it's reminded me that I didn't like reading that. I loved reading comics. Mm. And I remember thinking of that being, we used to have a mobile library that came to our village. And because my gran was staying, when I was 10, I got out a biography of Hitler. Because I thought it would impress her. Yeah. And I, and I remember saying lies to her and going, no, oh, it's really interesting because actually the book says that he'd never smiled in his whole life. I just made up all of these things. <laughs> and I'd forgotten because the book that I... He was a very surly man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently he was only four foot tall, the book says. And it's, um, but it was really... Because the one book that I read over and over again was The Making of Doctor Who. Oh, I just yeah. read that over and over again. Just the little plot descriptions of things... I, I better read the plot description of the Santana an experiment again and it was only the book that I was thinking the books that I think almost really got me were Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I think that was a very fortunate thing to be like 11 years old when that came out and it was considered to you know it was a book that adults could read as well that and Adrian Mole were yeah. the two things that yeah. I just went oh reading's really good actually yeah. I don't just have to read though I still do read The Making of Doctor a lot it's really I'm really beginning to understand the Sontaran experiment now it's <laughs> something to do with a neck hole I'm not entirely sure but it's really interesting mine was Judy Bloom. Oh, not, not forever yes. though Oh, forever. Well, if oh. you could get a hold of a copy of Forever, good luck. 
Because they, we couldn't, they didn't keep it in the school library because all that happened was it would just go missing and then get passed around. Yeah. How rude is that? Because I used to work in a children's bookshop and we would get people fine. coming in going, well, I'm very disappointed we bought the Judy Bloom book because uh, if you don't know, it, it's racy by the standards of Judy Bloom. Well, Bloom, Judy Bloom had done all these coming-of-age stories that were about things like uh, going through a parental divorce, uh, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret. I, I think that, you know, she, you know, she gets a period. You know? So it's all these kind of teenage milestones. But then forever... There is the loss of virginity, and there is this. There is a sex scene, a very, very explicit, sexy, really, <laughs> very dirty. Uh... As Roger laughed, he went, "I've got another treasure now." Oh, Judy! It's a dirty, that would dirty. Be an amazing moment to pull out the filthiest sex scene. In a... Yeah. So, so this book, forever. Once the word got out that that's what was in this book, every teenage girl wanted to get there. Did girls enjoy finding uh, sex passages in books to the same extent that I, I think, did? I think so. I think so. I totally think so. Did you read horror fiction then? Because I think that was one yes. of... I remember being given three horror books. James I loved horror Herbert. when I was a kid. And then for Christmas, and then they disappeared. And I found out about a year later that my uh, grandma had read them to check them. And they were all those ones that had that... that, that, that were always in the pan book of horror stories. Just one story, but it'd be one there. And then she said, strip. Take off your bra. <laughs> and there'd always be this kind of lurid. And so that, that, that and the, the books that were banned was also a school bookshop. I once ordered Gullible's Travels by Billy Connolly. Oh, that okay. one never turned up, apparently. That got sent back. And, and Eric Idle's The Rutland Dirty Weekend book as well <laughs> right. was not considered acceptable for the school. He was nude on the cover of that, though, wasn't he? Yeah, nude on a bicycle, though, isn't it? It's traditional. Yeah. It's very British. It's not hygienic. You're going to be nude and... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, oh, the fart-soaked saddle. <laughs> As myself and Natasha went round on a tandem. Oh, Klaus, catching flies. Um, sorry. Um, we've run out of time already. From uh, the, uh, But I want to ask you... Have you ever read, by the way, Walter Travis's actual book, The, the Man yes. Who Worth? Yeah, that's another one that I gave to my son to read. That He swears that he actually did read that one. Yeah. And is it... Because I wonder how different it... it Not it, that it, much. Yeah, it's fairly faithful. You know, a bit weirder. It's a, it's a relatively straightforward sort of sci-fi book, I think. Because it's an odd thing, because most of his work was sci-fi, wasn't it? But he wrote The Hustler as well. Right. Which is, uh, really? yeah. So that, that was the thing that really kind of made him. Cause it, but it's, um, yeah, I watched The Man Who Fell to Earth when they re-released it, and it, it's, it still is a... Because I think when I saw it, and we might have been the same age, it might have been the same Christmas. Yeah. There was one Christmas when, as a 12-year-old, there was 2001 A Space Odyssey, and there was Man Who Fell to Earth, and you thought, it's going to be like Battle Beyond the Stars. Laser and guns. it's going to be like Empire Strikes Wise-cracking robots. And, and 2001 <laughs> is going to work on a portable black-and-white television. Yeah. None of it will be lost. And then and thinking, these are the two most boring films in the yeah. world what and then the getting shit older. is going on wasn't there a thing like, recently where Nick Rogue talked about the making of it there was, I'm sure there was a, a, a thing recently he was talking about dealing with Bowie just being completely out of his head yeah he was that, that he was maximum wasted at that yeah. point and uh, which is why Nick Rogue chose him to be in it because he right. was so odd in every way but he looked I mean even though he wasn't well he did look very beautiful and so I, I do remember just thinking just being carried through it by just looking at his face, you know. And actually, he was well-directed. Bowie was good when he was properly cast. Like, um, 
because his range was not huge as an actor. Mm. But he was good and he looked so great that really you could, you could do a lot of good stuff with him. Um, so if you could just now quickly tell us your 20 favourite books, because we normally <laughs> sure. do that. The, uh, no, what, what were the... In terms of the books that you... Because you, you're brilliant at parodying, for instance, the, the way that people talk about film and talk about cinema. And uh, are there any particular books uh, in terms of things like, you know, the, those directors on directors, there's those series like Cronenberg on Cronenberg, Kubrick on Kubrick. Are there any ones in particular which are either in, inspiring for positive or negative reasons? What sort of pretentious... Well, just Classics. yeah, those, those film books that you. Cause I, I've always oh, presumed when books. you did those character, when you actually. Oh, you mean like sort of Ken Corder style? Yeah. Um, yes. Well, no, I never read any of those. That was all stuff like Joe was always the film nut. He read all those books. He read The Hero with a Thousand Faces and all that sort of uh, you know Joseph Campbell stuff that he'd read about George Lucas reading. So he would go and read all those things. I was never bothered. I always read music books, if anything, and. Um, I think I'm reading this one book, going back to Bowie again, that is on his list, which I'm reading right now, and is great, is called A Wop Bobaloo A Lot Bamboom by Nick Conn, C-O-H-N. And that was written in 1969 when this guy, Irish journalist, he was only 23 or something. And he was pretty much the first person to try and write the history of rock and roll up to that point. Um, or, you know, the history of popular music. He also talks about soul and R&B and things like that. It's really good. It's very readable. He's got a funny turn of phrase, and it, it looks like the, you know, blueprint for m- most rock journalism ever since then. So that's a really good one. I recommend that. He's the guy who wrote the story that Saturday Night Fever's based on, isn't he? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a very good new book. That a guy called Jason Heller has just written a book about the influence of um, science fiction on pop music, specifically really from about the... almost just from 1970 to 1980. And I just hadn't realised how, you know, people really, you know, including Bowie, but, you know, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, and it's it's an amazing... There's so many books, you know, things like prog stuff that I never imagined I wanted to... I I got a great book the other day, which is by Michael Moorcock, which is all about um, Hawkwind as a kind of fictional uh, rock group who are defending us from a dystopian future with uh, an evil machine and Lemmy's in it and it's it's like and it's just magnificent because it's Michael Moorcock it's done you know beautifully it has an explanation at the beginning that please don't confuse these with the individual members of Hawkwind when they're off stage very much the characters who are beating uh, and, and, and fighting against the dystopian future are based on their stage characterizations, not <laughs> them individually when they're in the pub just in case you think they might be able to save you or anything like that it's a fantastic book oh that sounds good that's a bit that reminds me of um Another book about Bowie called Ziggyology, um, which came out a couple of years ago, I think. And that sort of um, talks in a, in a semi-fictional sense about, you know, it brings together all Bowie's influences, the things that this guy reckons probably influenced Bowie. Um, and it puts them in sort of historical contexts, you know, back. And it's like the, the Jupiter, the, the uh, Holst writing the planets, um, things like that. And so you have a little vignette of Holst getting the inspiration for the planets, all these things that ended up feeding into the Ziggy mythology for Bowie. It's really good. I recommend that. And what are you reading now? What am I reading now? I was going to ask you a question, actually. This, this is a bit of a tangent. I know we're out of time. But um, do you, I'm sure you've had this discussion before. Audiobooks, does that count as reading? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fine, yeah. I mean, you're still absorbing the words and the story, right? I put it above reading on a Kindle. 
Oh, do you? Yeah. Why? There's something about a Kindle that I just don't trust. <laughs> there on, is. I like, I, I'm a big fan of marginalia, and I love the fact that when I buy a second-hand book, I find sometimes kind of aggressive notation from an angry yeah. academic who feels betrayed. <laughs> and that, that is not, you know, that trail will not be left on a Kindle. Also, I, um, I've always, the bookmark that I use, I leave it in the book. So even if it's like an airline ticket, you know, so in, I think I... I, I I looked up Birdsong for some... I had Birdsong off the shelf and I had an airline ticket and I, I remembered, oh, that's right, I read that in 2002. Uh, I was in uh, Johannesburg. Like, that, it instantly places it in my life. Like, that for me is part of the, the act of reading a book. You know, yeah, definitely. They are, you know, they are. It's nicer to have the object, no question. But um, I like sort of psychology books and, you know, accessible psychology books. We were talking... Am I allowed to say? Yeah. Uh, we're talking about your book that you've been writing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which sounds fantastic. Right up my alley, kind of the, the, the world of psychology and comedians, where that intersects. I'm fascinated by that. And um, I interviewed on my podcast a guy called Michael Lewis who wrote about these Israeli psychologists, Amos Tversky and Dan Kahneman, who, uh, and the book is called The Undoing Project, about their relationship and their work, about mainly about... Um, biases and uh, cognitive fallacies and weird ways of th that human beings think and uh, mistakes that we make that are often taking place beneath the level of our awareness. And then um, Daniel Kahneman wrote this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which goes deeper into that whole area um, of... Uh, he, he thinks about people as having these two modes. There's uh, setting one where you're thinking carefully about things... Maybe it's the other way around. No, setting one maybe is the instinctive reactions, the gut reactions to things, and then setting two is you're thinking more consciously about stuff. Oh, and yeah, it's yeah. the interplay between those modes. It's mm. fascinating. That's like the uh, Malcolm Gladwell blink. Right, it's, yeah. it's similar to that, yes. It's almost like, the, it's almost like a sequel to that. Right. Um, there was a good little uh, thing, for example, he illustrates this with a... A question like, answer this question instantly. I'll put you on the spot, Sarah. Uh, if a bat and ball cost £1.10 and the bat costs $1 more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? I've panicked and not listened. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So a bat, a bat and ball yeah. costs £1.10. Yep. The bat costs a pound more than the ball. Yeah. How much 10p. does the ball? 10p. Right. 10p. That's what everyone would say. But if you think about it, it costs... I mean, this, I, I can't believe that I've, I'm, I'm winding this thing up with really a very dry... Um, <laughs> Maybe you don't exercise. give the answer and then we have a rollover and say, oh, okay. send in your... Uh, to BBC That'll TV Centre Lane. Uh, yeah, but go on. The no, answer on. is 5p because it costs a pound more than the ball. So it's like it's an additional pound more than the... I mean, it's... It, the boring part of your brain really has to think about it. Yeah. The book should have been called Interesting Part, <laughs> Boring Part. <laughs> and I focused on the boring part. But, that, but the, the Malcolm Gladwell book, Blink, yeah. made me think I've got to listen to my gut more. Like, right. that the unconscious mind and all of the... But my gut's a twat. Is it? Yes. <laughs> everything about my gut and everything about my instincts is pretty much Really? Wrong. Yeah, it's bullshit. Okay. I mean, my gut told me that that would be a good thing to read out. <laughs> 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 
yeah. That's why that, that was very that, what a brilliant way of reviewing the book by creating that scenario, that level of tension, and ultimately that outburst of joy. <laughs> so that works wonderfully. I'll tell you a book you might like that Michael Pollan's just written a book uh, all about um, the use of hallucinogens uh, for mental health, and it's an incredible history. I'm just halfway through reading that. Mm. If you like psychology books, um, thank you very much, uh, Sarah Kendall. Thanks, for, Robin. Thanks uh, for having doing me. the David Thanks. Bowie quiz. How much does uh, it turned out that woman over there knew most? Knew most the, of the. the the Evian answer yeah. was uh, actually today's winner. Um, and uh, thank you very much, Adam, as well. Hey, thanks is, for having is me. Is there anything you want to mention that's, that's coming up? That Obviously, I mean, the podcast is... is there's always new ones. Of, that of rumbles those. on. No, I got nothing. Great. <laughs> Um, and my book, which I won't name, that you like the idea of, and so did I when I started writing it, and so did the publishers, but I don't really know where they are now, especially when they had to bring in the second editor. Anyway, so, <laughs> is that a good plug? Um, anyway, thank you very much, and thank you for coming along to this, and thank you, those who are listening at home, thank you for supporting us via Patreon, and thank you for supporting us by coming here tonight. Bye-bye. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you to everyone who came to the shows at Royal Albert Hall, the Four Book Shambles and the Space Shambles show as well. Back again next week with another episode from the Albert Hall when our guest will be Professor Lucy Green. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 